welcome to the Scary Movie List show. Carrie, what's your favorite scary movie? <laughs> hmm. You don't have to answer that. That leads into our list today. We decided to do a retrospective of the Scream franchise. And I think it kind of came from the trailer for yeah. Scream or Scream 5. Yeah, I realized I had only seen the first one. And so we decided to rectify that. And because time is limited, it seemed like it also is fun. We were talking a lot about them as we watched them. And it just seemed like it'd make a fun episode. So here we are. Yeah, so we're going to talk about all of the Scream movies, 1, 2, 3, and 4. And looking forward to the fifth installment coming out next year. I must say, I... Loved all four of these movies. Uh, they were really fun to watch back to back. I would highly recommend everyone do this exact same marathon at some point. Yeah, it's good. I think the movies, they play really well back to back. I've seen Scream 1 more than any of the other ones. Right. I also still think it's the best movie of all of them. Sure. But yeah, there's also a TV show that was oh, on yeah. MTV for a while, Scream, which we didn't watch. No. But I've heard mixed things. I think I watched one or two episodes I think the mask is really interesting what they do. They change the mask in the mm. Scream TV show. But, but these movies are, you know, up there in as far as popularity and as a horror franchise. Wes Craven directed all four of them. The late, great Wes Craven. Yeah. And there's a good amount of time that passes between each installment, which I think really builds uh, anticipation for the next film. And it's been 11 years since the last one came out. So it's going to be a really big Screening, I bet, in 2022. All right. So out of four films so far, there's got to be a good trivia question. So you have a trivia question for us today? I do, actually. These movies are super meta. And in one of their most meta moves, they have incorporated a movie within a movie that is about the occurrences of the previous film. And these are the stab movies. So my trivia question is a bit of a deep cut. <laughs> It's a good pun, right? No. <laughs> I was waiting on some reaction there. Stab One. Who directed Stab One? The film within the film. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah. Let's not uh, give that away until the very end. So just stay tuned in. You're going to be really racking your brain on that one unless you're just very familiar with the Scream series. Yeah. So I guess we'll talk about these one after the other. The first movie, Scream, came out in 1996. Again, directed by Wes Craven. And was written by Kevin Williamson. So in 96, like in the mid to late 90s, there wasn't a ton going on in the horror genre as far as movies are concerned. Wes Craven a couple years before had The New Nightmare come out mm -hmm. with uh, the new version of A Nightmare on Elm Street story with Freddy Krueger, which is also kind of meta in its own way. Sure, yeah. But a couple years gone by and then Scream comes out and it makes this huge splash. It's gigantic. It kind of revitalizes the horror genre. People are excited about it. And there's a lot of reasons why, I suppose. But, but Scream comes out and is talking about the horror genre in a big budget way. It's talking about itself. It's talking about the tropes of the horror film in a way that hadn't really been laid out before. Right. There's a lot of conversations between characters about, you know, people going upstairs or people saying things like, I'll be right back. And there are moments like that throughout the entire series. But it, this first film really lays that groundwork. We've got people who love watching horror films as main characters in a horror film. And it's a slasher movie. 
And usually slashers, I feel like, are kind of just, I don't know, they, they're not treated as nicely in the film community. They're not as, like, highly regarded. But Scream comes in and is like, no, we're going to make this semi-big-budget slasher movie, and we're going to put actors in it that are pretty decent names and it's I think it was probably really exciting when it came out now in 96 I would have been in first grade (laughs) (laughs) so that ages me a little bit but uh so I really wouldn't have gotten into the screen movies I think I saw this first movie when I was probably in my mid-20s and was shocked that I hadn't seen it before because most of what I was familiar with with scream were movies making fun of it I had not seen it, but I had seen trailers for Scary Movie, Yeah, obviously, Mm -hmm. which Scream is very much made fun of in that first Scary Movie. And yeah, I was really more so familiar with the parodies and the uh, Saturday Night Live, for instance, skits and things about this movie more so than the film. And I was very surprised that it was as good as it is. This might be one of my favorite franchises. Oh, nice. Yeah. So there may not be a lot of people who haven't seen Scream, but what's the idea of the story behind Scream, at least the first one? Okay, so we lay the groundwork that we have a couple friends who live in a town and there's been some murders happen. We get this really great cold open with Drew Barrymore and her boyfriend. One of the greatest openings in horror, Absolutely. I guess, ever at this and point. <laughs> again, This franchise does that on almost every single installment. We get some quick kill that really sets the tone for the rest of the film. And you don't end up with these pacing issues where you have to spend a half an hour getting to know characters before you start seeing the villain do its thing. We just get it right away. It's got that most iconic scary movie line that Kyle said as we entered (laughs) this episode. Uh, What's your favorite scary movie? And uh, the phone call, you know, we've got this like kind of phone call thing that goes on in most of the films with a voice changer. And anyway, so back to the synopsis. Sorry, I get really carried away with these movies. (laughs) I'm going to ramble a lot. I'm so sorry, but I, I love them. Essentially, we've got these people who are living in this town that this these murders have happened in and they decide to have a party, of course. Uh, A couple of the guys are horror fanatics, and so they even kind of mention, like, ha, 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 there's a curfew, so of course, what are we going to do? Throw a party for the killer to come. Anyway, that's exactly what happens. That's essentially right where we end up finding ourselves at the end of the film. There is a news anchor who is trying to kind of find her way in the city or in, in media, and so she's kind of following this murder case and she is really deeply investigating it. Her name is Gail Weathers and we get to see her a lot more in all of the following films. And oh, our main character's mother has been brutally murdered before the films. This is her backstory. And the guy who did it has been put away in prison or the guy they think did it has been put away. Yeah. Sydney Prescott is the name of the main character. And she, uh, she actually was instrumental in putting him behind bars because of her testimony. Yeah, and what a name for that guy that she put behind bars. Cotton Weary. Yeah. <laughs> and we, of course, remain weary of this guy the whole time. But yeah, he's behind bars. Pretty sure he did it. And 
again, these murders have started popping up of teenagers in their town. And so they're kind of dealing with it. Of all of the screen movies, this one seems to have some of the more memorable kills of the franchise. We have a character who gets crushed in a garage door. Not sure how that's physically possible, but uh, they make it work. Yeah, it happens. Uh, we have a character who has a TV dropped on their head and he's electrocuted by it. Yeah. But outside of that, again, this film really sets that tone for these characters who have seen enough horror films that they they think they know what not to do in these types of situations. But of course, even the killers have also watched these same movies. And so they kind of also know what these characters are going to do to escape. Yeah. And the killers are almost more knowledgeable than anybody. It seems like, at least to me, I still I mean, it's been out there long enough. I still don't want to, like, say who the killers are just because right. you haven't seen Scream, if that's possible. Shame on you. But it seems like they're the ultimate horror fanatics and that they take it, obviously, too far. They're pushed to do this. They push each other. They've been pushed by what's happening in the town in the past mm-hmm. to take some type of action. They snap and it leads us down this crazy road of for coming on five movies because of it. Right. When you watched the first Scream movie, did you have it figured out who it was by the end? I actually don't remember when I first saw this movie. And I think it, to me, that tells me that it may have been spoiled for me. Yeah. Uh, Again, but, we both would have been pretty young when it came out. So we would have seen it long after. Yeah, I didn't see it until probably when I was in high school or college, maybe. I guess before I had seen the movie, I had seen a picture of one of the of the killer like licking blood off of his hand. And so I think that I already kind of assumed that he was going to be somebody that we saw at the climax. It was sort of a gif that had been going around or something. And so I just had that in the back of my mind while we watched it. But uh, yeah, so same. It may have been, unfortunately, a product of the universe kind of knowing how that movie was going to end before I got there, which is too bad because it is a very twisted, pretty solid ending for a film. In all of these movies, they try to misdirect you mm-hmm. and who you think is doing this. Every single movie has that. They show you these little things or set up a scene with whether a character comes in late or seems to be motivated for some reason to possibly be the one who is the killer. Yeah. All of these movies do that. So it is fun in that way because you're trying to figure out it's it's ultimately a whodunit. Right. It's a murder mystery. Yeah. It's like two parts horror slasher and one part murder mystery. Yeah. Which I think is why I like these so much. By the time we got to be watching the third or fourth one, I was paying very close attention to like, what character is where when we see somebody in Ghostface? Because when we see him in Ghostface and we know where they are, like maybe they're having a conversation with somebody else and we've cut away to it, we know that it's not them in the mask in this moment. And so like you start like trying to put these things together, but they have so many misdirects that will cause you to just still be kind of surprised by the time you get there usually. Yeah, or Ghostface will show up and then immediately after Ghostface leaves, that character will like bust through a a window or like come through a door and be like, what's going on? Or yeah, or a character shows up really winded and you're like, it's them. It has to be them. Right. Uh, Why would they even be in the backyard at this time if it wasn't them? Yeah, there's a lot of that. But you're almost always wrong. So (laughs) 
hilarious. That's what's fun. But it actually, that kind of takes me into Scream 2 because I think Scream 2 is the only one that the payoff for who it is, I just, I couldn't even. Like, it's such a, it feels like such a stretch, but also is so, like, stupid obvious. It really, I don't know. I was kind of frustrated by Scream 2. Yeah. Scream 2 came out in 1997, which was, and it actually came out less than a year after Scream 1 came out. That's how much of a fast track was put on this sequel to get it out and pump some more money right. into the studio. So Scream 2 essentially is Scream goes to college. Right. Sydney is in <laughs> college. They basically are in the world where the first Scream obviously happened. And there's been a movie called Stab that has come out about it. And it has caused poor Sydney to have to change her phone number a whole bunch of times because she keeps getting phone calls with people with voice changers. And uh, she has decided to go to school for acting or like theater of some sort. Yeah. And that's where we basically have an entire new Scream film take place is yeah. in this college new characters and i think it's a smart thing it seems like a natural progression of things she was in high school now they should probably move to college and it opens up a whole new world of possibilities with set pieces on the college campus and right. in, in a different part of the town and more people so but they open scream two with the screening or a screening of stab Yes, that's the a very rowdy screening. Yeah, stab. those yeah. people are like screaming at the screen and throwing popcorn. It was almost like watching the Gremlins in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true, and that's the cold open for for Scream Two. I know it kind of it kind of riles us up and, and gets us into the mood of uh, showing us that where we are now in this universe to where the murders from the first movie everybody is going to know about because it's a wide release movie called Stab that everybody has gone to. Right. And so. it's so infamous that everyone in the theater is wearing the ghost face mask. So when the killer is in the theater with the ghost face mask, he's just like, like it'd be like Waldo within the Waldo page, you know, trying to tell which one's which. Uh, mm -hmm. Is very, I don't know. It was a great idea for a horror cold open. Right. I enjoyed it. On the same note, though, in this movie, we still get all of the meta goodness. There's a scene where Sydney is waiting out in front of a film class because she's friends with some film majors, of course. And they had just been talking about film and horror films in general and some of the, the tropes that happen in horror films and things that they had had this nice conversation about it. And it, it kind of is almost self-deprecating in a way to some of its own things that happen within the movie, which is kind of, I don't know, it kind of takes a turn towards silly, I think, in some ways. Yeah, it's a parody in itself. It's almost too much of a parody, I think, um, instead of trying to kind of doing its own thing because it's so successful. Everything that it does is almost cringy in some way. I don't know. Right. But maybe that's just because we now know what the franchise is. So going back and watching Scream 2 and all of the stuff that it's doing seems like it's almost too on the nose. <laughs> maybe. And is kind of predictable in a way. Yeah. And I think that's really where this movie it's aware of all other sequels. And so when they're talking about horror films, they, they actually are talking in depth about sequels 
and how sequels never live up to the first film. And then ironically enough, this one doesn't either. But in that way, it's kind of fun because it also, the killer, the idea of who the killer is at the end is kind of stolen from other sequels. And so maybe we should have seen it coming. But this one, again, is such a stretch when it gets there. The payoff does not feel earned (laughs) yeah i think the payoff is a little strange like who the killer is because you know dancing around spoilers here because i I feel like we should be cognizant of spoilers we want you to watch this stuff and have fun with it but yeah i agree it didn't feel satisfying to me just who ends up being the killer it just seems like a strange choice and everything that we've got up to it is pretty fun and self-referential. It feels kind of tacked on. Yeah, I would agree with that. So one big plot piece of the whole series that happens in Scream 2 is that Cotton Weary is released from prison. And so yeah, he's- after some new evidence or something comes about. Right, he's in the mix again, but casting for him is like so spot on. They've found this actor who can play this like, I don't even know how to describe him. Yeah, Leave Schreiber. Is the actor who plays Cotton Weary. He's sort of dry, but it always seems like there's undertones to everything he's saying. And so he just kind of comes across as menacing in some way. So that takes us into Scream 3. My short synopsis is Scream goes to Hollywood or Gail gets bangs. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. And they're bad. <laughs> yeah. So Scream 3 came out in 2000. So it was three years after Scream 2. So I think there was some anticipation there for to see where they were going to take it and They do up the stakes a little bit. Like you said, Scream goes to Hollywood or Scream in the big city kind of a thing because most of it takes place in, I believe, L.A. or a good chunk of it or goes back and forth between L.A. So in this movie, Sydney has moved on to a compound, actually much like where we find Laurie Strode at the beginning of the new Halloween trilogy. Yeah. And she's just kind of living there with her dog, very secure, not really interacting with society much. She has a job that's remote where she talks to like battered women or like people who need assistance or to talk to somebody in some capacity. Stab 3 has now come out in this universe. So they're up to three in the movie within the movie series. And uh, Dewey apparently has decided to go big and go Hollywood. He's working on the movie. We haven't really talked much about Dewey, but I think we'll talk a little bit about him in the overarching story pieces as we get into all four screen movies at once. Yeah, Dewey's working as a uh, consultant. on the new Stab movie that they're making, Scream 3. So this movie also, again, dips its toe into the meta, and it takes it a step further in that there are moments, for instance, actually one of my favorite scenes, and I think you said this might have been one of your favorite scenes as well, where Gail Weathers is actively running from the killer with her actor that plays her in Stab 3, and she's trying to learn from Gail how Gail would handle this situation or sometimes trying to out-Gail Gail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of humor in this one. Uh, almost too much. Like, it got kind of silly. Like, I wanted to watch a good slasher horror flick, and they threw a lot of humor in it. I mean, it doesn't mean you... I'm not saying you can't have humor in horror, but it's almost like it was kind of heavy-handed. And they have these kind of humorous situations between the characters, like what you said with Gail and Parker Posey. Yes. Who is the actor who's playing her in the new Stab movie. So there's little things like that that they throw in that almost took me out of the terror that I think that we were supposed to feel in these situations. Yeah. So that kind of turned me off a little bit here in this one. I think it wasn't as successful as the other Scream movies. Yeah, I mean, 
On that note, too, if you really want to know the true vibe of this movie, Jay and Silent Bob are in Scream 3. <laughs> they yeah, make they an show appearance. Up. Oh, cameos, which I guess that means the VSQ Kevin Smith universe is also in the Scream universe. Yeah, it's a weird jump. Yeah, it's also kind of a weird cameo. I mean, film buffs and film people are going to know who they are, but... It's so focused. You're like, who are these people? Who are these two dudes? Why Why do they have their own focused scene outside of the studio tour? Right. And similar to the ending of Scream 2, where I felt it was kind of tacked on, this also feels a little tacked on and that they may, it seems like they maybe could have come up with three or four different endings and who the killer could be. And maybe they didn't decide until they wrote the last page yeah, of the script. which I think... <laughs> I read a few things where these screen movies where there were some times on some days they didn't have the pages for the day before the day of shooting. And that's not unheard of. That happens no. quite a bit. Um, Sometimes that's intentional, like withholding so it doesn't leak. Yeah, there may be some of that behind that to try to keep the secrets of the movie. But also it kind of feels like that in some cases. Like it's being written as they shoot it. Yeah. Interesting. It's still a well put together movie, but I just felt again that the ending and what is ultimately happening is unsatisfying and is just a weird reveal. Yeah. I will say one thing that I think is funny. I don't know why it was funny to me, but the director of Stab, what is it? Are they working on Stab 3 in the movie? can't remember which stab they're working on. That I don't know. But in the movie, there's a director. I feel like he reminds me a lot of you, which is very strange. Yeah, I, I think I've got that before. Scott Foley is the actor, and some people say I kind of look like him. I think you he's... have a bit of a cadence to your voice and the way he walks. You, it just seems very much like you. I don't know why. He's prettier than I am. No. Never. <laughs> you take that back. And that takes us right into Scream 4, which I don't really have like a subtitle. Maybe um, the Sydney Homecoming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because essentially at the end of 3, she feels that she doesn't need to live on her compound anymore. She leaves the gate open in one of the closing shots. She feels safe again. I don't know why you would feel safe again after everything that just happened in Scream 3. But um, yeah, she has decided she's going to re-enter society. She has written a book about everything that's going on. So her and Gail both now have books out about everything. And yeah, it's like a self-help book, I think, that she wrote. Yeah, and at this point, there are now like seven stab movies that have come out. And that actually takes us into the most bizarre cold open of all of the cold opens that we get in the <laughs> Scream series, which is watching the openings from stab one through, I don't even know, five, six, seven. <laughs> yeah, they go through a couple of the stabs. They kind of pull the rug out from under you. think that you're watching this movie's opening, but you're watching stab movie openings. I guess that's kind of a spoiler, but eh, it's you, can not kind of, deal. you can kind of feel it. Yeah, it <laughs> has watch them like, hmm. a really silly vibe, which all the screen movies have, but this one like takes it even further. And so if this was the actual cold open, I would have been like, oh my God, what are we watching? Um, but I do enjoy Kristen Bell in that <laughs> opening. Yeah. Because it does clearly show that the stab movies have ventured on their own path. And they're not really necessarily following the real life story of what happened with these guys and the ghost face killer. 
Yeah, I think the idea is the stab movies have done everything but go to space. <laughs> kind of Maybe they did. I don't Maybe know they did. Yeah. saw them all. Yeah, but this came out in 2011, Scream 4. Mm-hmm. And that's actually, that's 11, 10 years after Scream 3. So it's, it's showing back up in the uh, horror conversation mm-hmm. after well, that, that length of time. And within the movie, I think Gail Weathers at least at one point mentions to Dewey that they've now been together for 10 or 11 years or whatever it was. So that amount of time has passed in their universe as well. Mm, We're not just like picking up where we left off. So in this movie, Dewey and Gail are living together. They're all back in Woodsboro. And when Ghostface shows up because Sydney is in town during her book tour, Ghostface shows up. So she decides to seek shelter by staying with her family. And so this is when we meet her aunt, whose sister was Sydney's mother. And so she kind of knows a lot of Sydney's backstory. She knows a lot of things that had happened to Sydney's mom and also feels a little bit like she's a victim of Sydney's mom in some ways, just, you know, having had a tough relationship with her. And we also meet Sydney's cousin, who's a little younger than she is. And then we meet Sydney's cousin's friends, who basically are what this film sort of centers around. Yeah, at this point, the original characters are older. I mean... From 1996 until 2011, that's what, 15 years have mm-hmm. gone by. So it is a little bit of a passing of the torch type of thing it that they're like working it. with. Sure. But the original characters are very much still ingrained in the story. Yes. And we realize that they're revisiting some of the same things that happened in the first film, which are things like there's a film club. <laughs> at this high school where her cousin goes to school. And that's who her cousin hangs out with are these people that are in the film club that, again, are very familiar with the Stab movies, so much so that they're having a Stab marathon, which, of course, Ghostface attends. They are very familiar with the rules of horror movies and what you should and shouldn't do. And so that makes for a very, what seems like a very easy connection for us to make thinking oh, this is where we're headed. (laughs) But of course, we get a lot of those misdirects. And yeah, I think ultimately even the idea of the passing of the torch becomes very, very great misdirect in this film. Of all the, they introduce all these new characters, but one of the characters I like most is uh, Kirby, played by Hayden Panettiere. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's kind of like the sassy, foxy friend, I guess. Yeah. But she's probably one of the best characters in the movie, I think. Yeah, I agree. She's pretty solid in this. She really carries some scenes. Uh, There's also a Culkin in the mix here that is in this little friend group. Yeah, he's one of the movie nerds, (laughs) one of the pair of movie nerds that has the uh, movie club. They do a little bit with technology because at this point, you know, we're 10 years after the last one. Right. Technology has moved along pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Social media is around. There's a character that has like a webcam or some type of streaming right. series. Right. Live they, streams is yeah. life. <laughs> but they don't say like what platform it's on. They don't say YouTube. They don't say like really a specific social media platform. So it's almost like it's just this nondescript kind of web thing. <laughs> yeah. And one thing that I feel like might have, I don't know if it would have made it better or not, but one of the things that I think maybe was a missed opportunity for this movie was playing with that a little more. Because I don't think they really used the webcam besides like one time when he accidentally flips it backwards and we see that Ghostface is coming and someone's watching the stream and is like, no, run. And maybe that is like the 
best situation that you could use it in. And so they just didn't want to overuse and abuse this. But at the same time, it did feel a little like this was something that they could have done more with. I feel like it's something that they thought was going to catch on more with culture, mm-hmm. like people filming themselves with head cameras because it's, <laughs> it's a it's a headset with a camera strapped on the side of it to like where you wear headphones, the camera is by his ear yeah. and it's recording things. We don't do that no. these days. I mean, we have like GoPros and stuff for right. like, for sports and extreme sports, but like Google Glass or something. So it is kind of strange that they they chose this one thing to have like a a headset camera recording things to think that that may be something that people latch on to. Yeah, I wonder if they started selling those in stores or something after this movie came out, almost like a. Uh, after Home Alone, those little talk boys or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I guess we kind of do that in a way with our phones, yeah. selfies and going live on Instagram or whatever. Mm-hmm. So we do that a little bit these yeah. days, but it seems like they were stretching for what people... Like they were trying to anticipate what the technology was going to do next. Maybe. And they just missed the boat completely. (laughs) Maybe, yeah. And yet again, I want to say kind of another slightly unbelievable ending or slightly unsatisfying ending. I didn't really buy what was happening in the end myself, Hmm. just what the reveal was and, and who the killer was. I don't know. I... It seemed like there was motivation there. It seemed like, okay, I get this. Like, this is fine. Because I don't know what would have been a better ending. Like, if I was analyzing it and thinking, like, who could it be? I don't think that there's somebody in the mix that would have made more sense or maybe be been more satisfying, if that yeah. makes sense. I don't know. I just don't believe the crazy, you know? Because everybody has, like, they, the idea is that all of these people who are doing this in the movies are have snapped. Yeah, they're like psychopaths. I believe something. it in the first one and also the second one to an extent. Like I buy that. Mm-hmm. But for the third and the fourth one, it's just, I just don't buy the crazy. I guess I, that's the best way to put it. I feel like the, the second one, the people have the motivation, but it feels like they're not really part of the narrative. In the third one, I feel like they have really good motivation, Part of their motivation feels a little tacked on and weird, but overall, like, I feel like maybe they didn't need part of the reason why they were doing it. It, it could have just been the Hollywood system, I guess, <laughs> yeah, um, like a victim of the Hollywood system. But yeah, no, I, I feel like the fourth one to me feels the most viable outside of the first, the first Definitely has the best ending of all of the films. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. I think they struggle with the endings on two, three, and four, at least for me. Mm-hmm. And they just don't, it's just not as satisfying right? In, in the franchise. But that's just me. All right. So let's talk about these as an overall arcing thing that's kind of moving us toward this new trailer that we have uh, and this new movie, because I've I want to talk to you for a second about what you anticipate seeing in this next installment. But before we get there, we didn't really talk a lot about like Gale and Dewey much in these synopsis. We kind of focused mostly on what Sydney is doing and what Ghostface is up to and what the motivation of the killer and orc killers are. So I personally think the Gale Dewey thing. There's like a love story between these two characters that kind of blossoms over the course of the the films. Personally, I think Dewey is my favorite character of the entire Scream series. What about you? Do you have a favorite character? I like Sydney. I think Sydney's great. 
Yeah. I think that somebody being thrust into something, having a past that -hmm. she has, it's just a really solid way to write a character, to be able to sympathize with her. And she's not outlandish. She's relatable and likable as a lead character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you really do want to see her uh, survive or, um, you know, get the best of the killer, which she tends to do. But I think the reason why I like Dewey is that while he is sort of, he does come across as kind of not the brightest bulb in the box, he is still pretty smart. It seems like he surrounds himself with the right people and he is lucky in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He does seem to get just lucky that maybe he, I don't know, he has a lot of very near misses. <laughs> Yeah, right. (laughs) But he also seems to find himself in the right place at the right time sometimes as well. And I think that that can't be overlooked. I usually am not a huge Arquette fan, honestly, really any of the Arquettes. But I think he's really, really solid in this. And he's just, he's lovable. You don't want to see anything bad happen to Dewey because he doesn't really deserve it. He didn't really do anything besides try to help people. Yeah, Dewey, I think what makes him work is that he has a lot of heart. Yeah. He's not trying he's not a caricature of a police officer. No. They almost like they go against typecast with that character because the Dewey character in the first one, they could have cast this macho, super classically good looking guy to be the deputy yeah. of the town. But they went with David Arquette, who could be an everyman. Yeah. You know, it could be your friend, the guy that lives next door to you, you know, not necessarily this Hollywood hunk. Right. We'll say. Right. I think the casting in this all around though is really good. Um having Courtney Cox as Gail Weathers feels very fitting as well. Like she's she's very pretty. Uh she seems to be very well kept. She's almost like a fashion like they really put her in some great costumes that make her seem like she's like a fashionista or something. Yeah. And she's always running around in heels constantly, even when she's running from Ghostface or whatever's going on. But in the same note, she's also, I think, against the grain in that she's not just somebody who wants to claw their way to the top. She legitimately seems like she wants to be a good journalist. Like she wants to know exactly what's going on and she's going to get to the bottom of it. And I think part of that, you know, comes out when she's dealing with Cotton Weary and really like trying to figure out, did he really do this or not? And it also comes out a lot when she she's almost always right at the heart of the detective work of figuring out who is behind the mask in each of the films. Right. She's not necessarily in it for just the money and the fame. She wants to find the truth. Yeah. And that could seem very superficial. Right. In, in, in a lesser script, but... You believe that she really does want to know and get to the bottom of it and find the truth of the story because she has some type of instinct that tells her to keep going. Right. And there is this moment, I think it was in Scream 4, where she's she's already written the book about all of these different cases. And so she's trying to sit down and write another book as she just can't think of anything to write about because there's not been any horrific things happened to her. For like 11 years or something. She's just been living in Woodsboro with Dewey and just 
chilling. And uh, like that in itself like bothers her. She wants to be solving a case or at the heart of something. But at the same time, you can understand where probably not the best for you to always be right up there near a killer <laughs> at all times. All right. I almost wonder if when we get into this fifth installment, if we're going to find that she's a murder mystery uh, podcaster. <laughs> Seems like a good place for her. Yeah. We'll see what they, where they go with the technology because it being based in the present day, it is probably trying to relate to the current teen crowd, current right. pop culture. I feel like they have to do something with some type of technology to, to base it in this world. So maybe we'll see podcasts. Maybe we'll see. Well, they did in the trailer kind of reference some smart home stuff. Yes. Which I think is cool, but that I hope it's not too heavy-handed because he, I hate the killers that. texting her. Right. So yeah, I think you're right. I think there is going to be some technology in the mix, maybe a little better than the headset camera. Yeah. I just hope that they don't lean on that for it to be such a focus of look at all of this technology stuff. Look how savvy we are, and we know what's happening these days. You know, right. make it more about the story, which we'll see. I mean, the trailer doesn't give away a ton of stuff no. for the Scream Five, which I think is just going to be called Scream. Almost like a reinvention of it, similar yeah. to what they did with Halloween. I mean, we have they have revealed so far in the trailer that everybody knows who Sydney is. So obviously, it's still the same universe. I'm sure the same amount of time has passed as it has in our world, and that's about it. Oh, besides the fact that it seems like there might be a cold open that is kind of similar to the first Scream. Yeah, I feel like there there probably still some secrets that. Uh, they want us to experience in the theater, but it definitely whets your appetite. For sure. I can't wait to watch it. It looks really good. Yeah. Another thing with all of the Scream movies, I I'd feel like a lot of the franchises and slashers, you remember a lot of kills, right? Right. Like Friday the 13th, you remember you know, when he punches some guy's head off. Yeah, or, or like stabs he... up through the bunk bed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, through the bunk bed, uh, machete kills, mm -hmm. the head squishing. Like you remember that stuff, but there's not a ton of that with Scream. It's more so about kind of the whodunit, which we referenced a little bit before. Right. So they are different in that way. They don't feel like a lot of the other like franchises, slasher like slashers, even though they technically are slashers. And there's some gore in them, yeah. but they're not completely focused around the kills. It's more about making our way to the climax and finding out who's doing it. Right. And I can appreciate that. I don't think that it necessarily needs to be that every horror film is about the blood and the gore and the, the creative kills because some of it gets a little silly, you know? Again, stabbing somebody through a, the bottom of a bunk bed it's a little on the silly side. And it it kind of, I don't know, it takes you out of it a little bit. Whereas in the Scream movies, all of the villains are real people. And sometimes they're copycat killer types, you know? they're I mean, all of them after the first yeah, film right, are copycats all, right. of the first film. And I think that that in itself is pretty terrifying, really. You know, the idea that even in our modern world, when we hear about these terrible things that people do, oftentimes there are copycat killers who try to do the same thing. They often happen again. And I think that that really grounds the films and it makes them maybe more scary. Yeah, I think you're right. And also, I will say, and this may be a hot take, but I don't think the sequels really needed. Like there, I don't, 
necessarily know that they're, I don't necessarily think that they're great movies. They fall into the trap of horror movies that they were kind of poking fun at in the first movie. Like they've, like it's, it's like they're their own worst enemy to be inventive because they are referencing how sequels and other movies, how they've been done in the past. And they're not necessarily doing anything new or different with it. You know what I mean? Just because they are being meta and referencing those movies doesn't make it clever. The first one is, but two, three, and four it almost kind of, kind of seems excessive. So while I agree that the first one is clearly the best of all of them, I kind of disagree because the other ones in their own right are really entertaining. Like they're fun watches. They're silly. They can be, you know, a little on the nose sometimes. Endings may feel a little tacked on. They're still very watchable. I've definitely watched other horror franchises that are after the first one or two are not good at all. That's not necessarily the case. I think these are still really watchable movies. You still want to see where these characters end up. So I'm pleased with two, three, and four. And I think that everyone should still watch them. But yeah, ultimately, I disagree in that they don't need to exist. I think that they're fine. They're just not as good. Sure. They can't live up to Scream 1, which is a legendary horror film. I guess that Yeah, I'm not saying that they weren't watchable or that they weren't enjoyable <laughs> i'm just taking a step back and realizing that the movies kind of have fall they fell into their own trap of what they were yeah that's kind true. of making fun of and there is a whole one there's there is a contained story in the first movie right that is not left open for a sequel no and it's a really interesting story as it is yeah people who take their love for horror movies too far you know i don't know yeah i don't know how they could have made them much better, but yeah, all right, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you that. They did fall into their own trap, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do with part five now that they've had a lot of time to sit around and think, and it's a different director. And maybe it's also one of those things that if Wes Craven didn't do it, they would have got somebody else to do it. If Wes Craven said no to Scream two and and three and four, right, they would have went ahead and done it, and. Maybe it's a thing where he cared enough about that story to be sure that if anybody's going to do this, maybe I should be the one that does it. Right. I don't think that any of them are really bad movies. It's just a little hot take about <laughs> sure. how they are talking about the real world horror franchise and it became one itself, you know. Yeah, so it will be interesting then to see a Scream movie not directed by Wes Craven. Yeah, so this new Scream that comes out next year is directed by a couple of the members of uh, Radio Silence. Um, Radio Silence is like a collective of filmmakers who've done a good handful of really good genre stuff. First thing I remember from them is one of the segments of VHS. Oh. And they also did a really great movie called Ready or Not. Mm, yeah, I liked that one. We talked yeah. about it in a previous episode. So, and I don't know if it's it's all of the members of Radio Silence or it might just be a couple of the members, but I think they've proven themselves to be pretty good storytellers and good filmmakers. So it'll be interesting to see what someone else can bring to a feature film. Again, we mentioned that Scream has a TV series or did have a TV series mm -hmm. and it ended on MTV, it may have moved somewhere else too. From the trailers, looked very MTV, which kind of turned me off about it. But what, maybe we what, the, should give the it a- The Scream TV series? Yeah, the, the TV series. So maybe 
we should give it a, a shot. Yeah. Let us know if you think the Scream, the TV series is any good. Um, we'll give it a watch. Yeah. But we did, mean, we decided not to dive into that. Yeah. I mean, there are some other series that have been coming out lately that are really solid, like Fear Street and the Chucky series seems to be pretty good. So maybe maybe we should give it a shot. Well, Carrie, do you have any final thoughts with the Scream franchise? Because I know we kind of we watched these as you hadn't seen them. But I think it's interesting that you got to watch them back to back to back. Right. Back. Whereas most people would have had years between each installment. I mean, overall, very good popcorn movies. Um, you can't take them too seriously because they don't take themselves that seriously, which I very much appreciate. I think sometimes horror movies get so intense and so, I don't know, the vibe is like really, really intense. And I don't like that. I actually really enjoy movies that are kind of a little bit lighter fare. This, these are not necessarily lighter fare. They just have a bit of a sense of humor about themselves that I enjoy. And so, yeah, I think I know I said this at the beginning of the episode and I haven't talked myself out of it. I am still a pretty big fan of this franchise now that I've seen them all. Yeah, you're right. That is it is a good quality that these, this franchise has. It doesn't take itself too seriously, but it's in the middle of the road for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. But I like that we were able to give them a watch. Yeah, absolutely. I look forward to many more franchise marathons, which I think we have at least one ranked episode that we'll have coming up sometime this season so we will be hitting a longer franchise we just wanted to do more of a retrospective on this guy yeah that takes us before we bid adieu to the trivia question which was who in scream the scream series was the director of stab one which is the movie within the movie. The answer to this is revealed in Scream 4 during the movie marathon. We see on the big screen the beginning of Stab 1, the cold open, and it is directed by Robert Rodriguez. How they made that decision, I have no idea. Do you do you know any backstory for that? I don't I don't know if there is one. I don't. I don't know if it was just a, a choice of the filmmakers or if maybe Robert Rodriguez actually directed like the film within the film, the small little segments of Stab. I don't know about that. It's, it'd be super interesting to find that out. We might have to look into that later. Anyway, so kudos to you if you got that. That's a deep cut again with the puns, but that will take us out for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you want to see some more stuff from us, give us a follow on Instagram. But if we don't hear from you, take care. And keep watching movies. Mm -hmm.